Hello out there, breadwinners. This is Regina, and you are listening to Office Politics Radio, a podcast dedicated to helping you with your work life. You can get in touch with me and find out more about me and my show at officepoliticsradio.com. You can also follow the links to my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages, or you can email me directly at Regina at officepoliticsradio.com. So today we're going to take another little departure from our traditional office talk because we're probably all still working remotely. And as I look at the calendar, I realize, oh my goodness, it's almost my fourth anniversary with Robert Downey Jr. I need to celebrate. So today's show is dedicated to him. So to give you a little context, um, my top five this week is going to be all about my five glorious days that I got to spend with Robert Downey Jr. And... I want to give you a little background first. (laughs) So in April 2011, I got in a car accident. And I really hesitate to call it a car accident because it was more like an incident. I was on my way back from lunch, going back to my office. And essentially, I barely scratched this dude's car. What happened was I was coming out of a parking lot where I was having lunch. And there were three northbound lanes, three southbound lanes. So I'm trying to get over to what is lane three from the curb, lane one, two, three. So I could turn left after the light, get on the freeway, go back about my business. And if you have ever been to Los Angeles, you know that it's like a game of Frogger to get where you're going. And you really have to MacGyver your way on there because nobody's trying to let you in. Okay, so the first lane was all parking because it was between nine and five. So then I got into the second lane, the guy stopped for me. And then in the third lane, I started to inch into the... the into the way essentially because the guy was coming up in the third lane and he hit the front of my car. Totally my fault. I get that because I should not have been encroaching in his lane. I hit the front panel and both drivers, both of the passenger side of his car and the front bumper on my car came off. Not, I was maybe going, I don't even think I was going anything. I think I was just in his lane. So I wasn't like moving because I'm in an SUV and he's in a Honda. So I think if I was actually moving, it would have been a lot more tragic. But in this particular incident, um, both cars were drivable, no airbags, no broken glass, no drama, just my bumper in the street. So we went back into the parking lot, pulled off and exchanged information, took pictures. And I got my bumper out of the street. I put that in the back of my car and I just drove home. So a couple days later, he called to see how I was doing. And I told him that, you know, the insurance should take care of everything. I got a little bit of a headache, but I'm not hurt. I'm not injured. And he was like, okay, whatever. And that was that. Or so I thought, because we actually, ironically, both had the same insurance company, the one that's like a good neighbor. Anyway, so after much back and forth with my insurance company, and here's where it gets ridiculous, he refused to settle. So they paid for his medical because he said he did need some aftercare. They paid for all the repairs to his car, obviously, and he didn't have to pay anything. And I paid everything I needed to pay to have my car repaired. But he didn't want to settle. He, his attorney wants emotional distress money and pain and suffering money and other types of loss money. And I'm like, is he serious? So he was, he took me to court. So I ended up in court as a defendant. July 2016, he got some, like I said, I got some immediate medical attention, did some other therapy for a couple months, and then that was it for like three years because he got in another car accident, not involving me, um, in 2013, but never filed a claim. 
So here we are in 2016 because, you know, everybody wants to have their dog day after afternoon moment. And it's literally over five years later, <laughs> whatever. So he was claiming that his spine is all jacked up and he needs surgery. And the surgery was going to cost, wait for it, $160,000. It's embarrassing because he was not hurt in this accident at all. The damage to his car cost about $2,000 to fix. And the damage to my car cost about $4,000 to fix. And so if you know anything about the auto body world, you already know that's peanuts. That's nothing. Probably $500 worth of parts and like $3,500 worth of labor. So since then, I've gotten a, a brand new car. Like I got a, a new car a couple, maybe like a year later. And I actually hit a pole in my parking lot and it costs more money to fix that. Anyway, so here we go to trial. That's fine. Whatever. So I thought I only had to show up to testify, which was going to be on the second day. But Peter, my attorney, was like, well, it's best if you were there every day. And I'm like, Ugh. so that wasn't really in my plan. But here go my top five days. So day one, I came in the afternoon session um, that Monday because we were doing jury selection all morning and I didn't really need to be there for that. So I told him I would come in the afternoon. The case was being heard in the Santa Monica courthouse. And if you know your Los Angeles geography, I live in Long Beach. The courthouse was in Santa Monica. So on the best of best days, it's almost a two-hour drive to get there, even though it's not that far. But they're LA miles, which are like dog miles. So it was, it was going to take forever. So I went and I met my attorney in the hallway at lunch break. And the first thing I asked him is if the plaintiff was there and he like came in in a wheelchair and like a neck brace and on crutches and with an oxygen tank or whatever. And he said no, but he had something else to tell me. And I was like, man, because this case had drug on for like five years. So I thought opposing counsel was going to try some tricks or whatever. And I just was not, I personally was not in the mood for it. So I did not want to hear anything else. So he's like, listen, don't get excited, but Robert Downey is one of your potential jurors. And I was like, okay, Robert Downey Jr. or Robert Downey Sr.? Because those are two very different experiences. And he's like, Robert Downey Jr. And I'm like, get out of here. There's no way. Are you Robert Downey Jr., Robert Downey Jr.? And he was like, yes. And looked at me like, keep your voice down. Um, you're going to see him when we reconvene for the afternoon. So of course I immediately grab my phone because I'm, I'm blab. I want to this. This is like a text message to the world. This is like the Facebook status. This is whatever. And he was like, No, 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 no. You can't tell anyone, and you can't take any pictures when you get in there. Where's the fun in that, Peter? I just wanted a little glimpse, a little peekaboo, just a little, you know, breathe his air a little bit, just to see whatever. And I was like, Fine, I'll wait, whatever. So we go in and the jurors come back in and they had been questioning all the jurors during voir dire that morning. So some of them were already selected and we were just going through to get the 14 jurors, the 12 regular jurors and the two alternates. So of course I'm just like, hmm, let me, let me look around a little bit, see who's here. And I didn't see him. I was like, Robert Downey Jr. is not here. So I'm looking in the box and I'm like, whatever, Peter, you don't even know who Robert Downey Jr. is. So when I turned to look at the other jurors who were in the gallery who had yet to be questioned, there he was, posted up, black t-shirt, looking just resplendent, dazzling, glorious. And I imagined just, this is the moment I've imagined since I was 15, okay? Like me meeting Robert Downey Jr. I did not black out. I did not 
throw up or anything. So I was like, all right, I'm holding it together. I didn't gasp or anything, just played it off like, oh, you know, here's another juror. Didn't give him any, a predatory stare or anything. Turned back around. I did take a picture of the list of potential jurors because I don't think anybody would have believed me otherwise in case he wasn't selected and he got dismissed. And I did take a picture of the little thing that said defendant because that's what they call you in court, by the way. They don't call you by your name. I'm not Miss Romeo in there. I am the defendant. So I was like, okay, he's very handsome in person. Very, very, you know, shocking, right? But I'm biased. I mean, I've been a fangirl since forever, but whatever. So we go through the rest of Wadir. And a bunch of people got dismissed. And you could tell a couple of them had like practiced what they would say to get out of jury duty. I'm like, who wants to get out of jury duty with Robert Downey Jr.? The attorneys were asking things like, have you ever been in an accident? Or do you know anyone that was seriously injured in an accident? Um, Just your basic questions. And one guy said that he couldn't be unbiased because he drives a motorcycle. And he hates people that drive, that drive cars and get in accidents. He even said when he's out riding, he thinks everybody out there is trying to kill him. And I'm like, come on, man, really? Easy on the drama player, okay? Because I'm, I'm here on a civil matter. <laughs> this is not like an attempted murder thing. So needless to say, he was dismissed, but whatever. Then the other jurors got called into the box and Robert Downey Jr. was number 18. And I was like, oh man, if we only need 14, I'm about to get robbed. So I figured that was, you know, all the Tony Stark I was going to get. So they dismissed two more people and then they started asking him questions. And I'm like, yes, yeah, please, please, yes. So they ask you your occupation, you know, the same standard questions. He said, when, it's, when they asked him his occupation, he, he said, I'm in the film industry. He's in the film industry. Okay. So, all right. I'll, I take that. Um, he said he's never been injured in a car accident. And then there was a sidebar with the judge and they came back and dismissed two more people. And then boom, he was bumped to number 14. I almost died. I was like, this is it. This is the moment. So they swear in the jury um, and we were going to be spending the rest of the week together. So that was just day one. You know, there were other people around, but, you know, they all fell away. It was really just about me and Robert Downey Jr. at this point. Um, the judge that was presiding was super cool, though. I really liked her. She reminded me of Mrs. Little, who was my typing teacher in junior high. Um hair done nails done bright red lipstick and honey no games okay just I don't know where she was from just seemed like she would be one of those you know people one of of your aunts from the south basically she was on top of everything the whole time kept everybody in line like she would be one of your aunts that you know you're going off to college and she's like let me talk to you for a minute okay when you get where you're going keep your eyes and your ears open and your mouth and your legs closed And then she would give you $20 and send you on your way. She was just in command of the whole courtroom. I had a lot of respect for that. Um, She, I didn't realize how much note-taking is involved in being a judge. So when somebody objects or somebody says something, she will correct you. So I was really just enjoying how she ran her courtroom because I think it just makes for a lot more efficiency. And she read the jury instructions once they were sworn in and both sides gave their opening statements. So, of course, here comes opposing counsel. And he was so over the top with his opening statement about how his client can barely function. And the defendant is the worst driver ever. And like I said, I might have been going two miles an hour, but here's, here's the reality. I had that car for 14 years. I call that car my baby. I put 164,000. 339 miles on that car before I traded it in. 
And that was my, and this was my only incident in that, in all that time, driving all over the place. So I was like, this is nonsense, Attica. But the, the judge actually ended up having to tell him to be, to, it was over just to sit down because his opening was taking too long. So then my attorney, Peter, got up and did his opening. He was in and out, you know, kept it short and to the point. And then that was it. Day one was in recess. And we come back for day two. So day two rolls in and the first person to testify is an expert witness in pain management. Kind of boring, like milquetoast boring. Like this is not helping me wake up kind of boring. Um, plaid shirt, khakis, like, you know, his, dry, his wife dressed him for like the first day of school or something. Didn't have a suitcase, didn't have a file, didn't really say anything incriminating or compelling. So I was just like, all right. And I took notes during his testimony. And then I discussed them with Peter at the break because he was going to cross-examine him. So it was kind of like I was co-counsel because if I'm going to have to sit here and look at this defendant sign all day, I may as well make myself useful. So I made a couple points about things that he brought up and he said, oh, that's good. I didn't think of that. And I'm like, that's why I'm here. This case is stupid, but we're not. So it was just kind of already getting on my nerves because it's difficult to sleep. I thought I was going to testify the day before, but I ended up having to testify that second day. So Milk Toast gets done with his rambling about whatever alleged injuries that my dude had from four years ago that he never got treatment for. And then opposing counsel calls me before he calls his client, which is totally his prerogative, but maybe not the best strategy, but that's neither here nor there. So I get sworn in and I'm suited and booted and ready for my close up. And he comes in with his usual drama-laden line of questioning because everybody wants to be Perry Mason. Well, isn't it true, Mrs. Romeo, that blah, 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 and didn't she say blah, blah, blah? And I was like, no, no. And he kept pronouncing my name wrong. He kept saying Romeo, which gets on my nerves usually, but I'm like, bro, I know what you're trying to do. You know my last name is Romeo, but that's fine. That's fine. I let it go. And this is not my first rodeo, as I mentioned several times before I testified in trial. I've been an expert witness for almost 10 years, so I wasn't moved by whatever tactics he was going to try on me. But one of the things that I learned is that when, uh, when, when opposing counsel is coming at you, one of the ways to get them off is to just kind of either just say, nope, nope, that's not true. And also call them counselor, because that's, that's my favorite part about being an expert witness is that, um, no counselor. But then you have to say it with a tone, like with an air about you, you know, like, I don't have the time or the inclination to discuss the matter. And how dare you? So I kept my answers very short, like you're supposed to, so that Peter could object if he needed to. But the questions were so lame. I was just like, no. And I already knew what he would ask me because you can't go beyond the scope of what he had covered in the deposition anyway. And I had already reviewed my deposition because I like to be prepared like that. And one of the things he asked me about was if I took pictures of the damage. And I said, well, of course. And I provided those pictures before. My bumper was off, but I didn't see any other damage. So then he has me turn to the estimate in the exhibit book. And I'm like, all right. So the repair said something about the bumper, but there's also a crack in the radiator and, the, and in the hood. So he asked me, well, why didn't I question why they were repairing hood damage? And, you know, I told him, I'm, like, I'm not an auto body expert and I couldn't, you can't see that from just looking at it. And then who is going to question a front end repair when they just had a front end collision? So he tried to get personal after that, but I had something for him. So then he says, you call this car your baby? And I said, I still do. 
And he says, and you don't even know if they put new parts or, or, you know, how and why they re or why they repaired that part of your car. And I said, that would be impossible. And he said, why? And I said, because they stopped making my car domestically in 2009. Boom. I got to have my Marissa Tomei, my cousin Vinny moment. So by 2016, these parts were not new anymore. So Never mind that I had only Googled that a few weeks ago, but it's all about preparation when you go to court, just so you know. Like Sun Tzu said, if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. Done and done. And he was just drama anyway. So my attorney got up and asked me a few questions, and then it was a wrap. So on redirect, he was like trying to make an issue out of me disagreeing that it was a low-speed accident because he kept calling it, well, this was a low-speed accident. And I'm like, I don't even... What does that even mean? Like, I'm not going to call my mom or one of my girlfriends and be like, oh, my God, girl, I just got in a low speed accident. Who says that? So I was just I was just done. So then I sat back down and Peter was like, it was fabulous. And then as I'm walking back to my chair, Iron Man smiled at me. Robert Downey Jr. smiled at me. Granted, he was smiling at everybody, but this was just for me. Anyway, then the plaintiff took the stand and his client. Oh, my God was the worst witness ever. He did not get prepared by his attorney at all. It was actually painful to watch. I felt a little bad for him because he ended up being badgered by his own attorney. The jury literally rolled their eyes when they saw the damage to the cars when they started putting the pictures up because of those big blown up 24 by 36 versions for court. The plaintiff couldn't remember when the accident was, when his pain started, when it ended, any of the diagnoses or whatever. And I kind of felt bad for him a little bit because the doctor said he had a pre-existing condition and a degenerative spine. But if he was really in, in pain, his lawyer should have settled before because he did get a better offer and provided him with some type of relief in the last five years. But what's important here is a time that I got to spend with Robert Downey Jr. that day. Um, he was no more than 15 feet from me, so I just had the rest of the week to chill because I had already testified. And the fact that he kept coming back every day just as exuberant as the day before, I like to think because he was enjoying my testimony, but I'm just going to let myself have that moment. And he could have, needless to say, easily gotten out of doing jury duty. I mean, if the other guy was like talking about murder or whatever, he could have came up with something like, oh, I don't know, I'm busy with my empire. Um, he comported himself very well. He was there on time. He wasn't there with a posse. He was very respectful of the process and took a lot of notes. I like to think he was writing a screenplay and that later in my life, he's going to ask me to consult and star in it. And it could happen. But I also noted that the reason that he and I are twin souls is because he has this amazing sneaker collection and his sock game is on point. The first day was all black everything, okay? Black shoes, black socks, black pants, and a black shirt. And the next day, he had on tan sneakers, chocolate brown, burgundy, and pink striped socks. And yes, I was writing down everything that he wore because I figured he was writing down everything that I wore. And then we were in recess, day three. After, in a, in a civil case, after the plaintiff and the defendant testify, it's just usually, and all the witnesses, I should say, it basically becomes a battle of the, of, of the experts. So all the expert witnesses came in. Oh my goodness. So they started with another expert that they took out of order because he was a neurosurgeon and he had better things to do that afternoon. So he comes in with a medical bag, of course, and a fake spine to, to kind of demo what the damage was. Anyway... 
went through typical medical jargon that the jury didn't really care about. But what was fascinating is that he looked just like Oded Fair. So if you have ever seen The Mummy, the original one with Brendan Fraser, he's in that. He was, my goodness, I was riveted. Okay, I could not look away. Who knew that spinal subluxation could sound so sexy? Um, Also, what I learned from him, because the other thing they asked the experts is how much money they're getting paid. He was getting $7,500 for half a day. $7,500 just to be, he didn't even testify for an hour. If you basically book him for whatever, the minimum is $7,500. If you couldn't fit him in until after lunch, it's another $7,500. So I learned that I needed to increase my expert witness fees. And, you know, I was like, okay, I, I see you. So he testified, got down, then the plaintiff got back on the stand. And if you can believe it, it was worse than the first time. Very painful. Like just a train going completely off the tracks. And I was just like, I don't understand how this is happening because you guys have literally had half a decade to prepare for this. And mind you, he's a physical therapist. So of all people, he should be able to speak the language that the doctors were saying, or at least explain it to the jury. Luckily, my attorney stopped the bleeding and only had him on the stand for a few minutes and asked a few questions because I don't think he would he could take it any more than I could. And they didn't have any more witnesses. So after the plaintiff returned, that was that. So then the next expert comes in and he was okay. So he has a Ph.D. in biomechanics and this but this was his first trial. So, again, they ask you, what are your qualifications? He has publications in proper footwear, sports injuries, and wait for it, yoga. So he was this young guy, good looking guy. You could tell he worked out, but I think he needed a little prep course on how to show up for court. His suit was probably, who knows, probably some thousand dollar suit. And you could, like I said, you could tell that he worked out, but dang, that suit was tight. That was all I could think was, bruh, did that come in an XL or not? So it was just like the suit he would wear until, I don't know, his first communion or something. I was like, how long have you had that suit though? And he had this messenger bag that was like across his body. So he just looked like he was going to his first day of school or something. So he spent the entire morning basically talking all kinds of scientific nonsense that nobody understood. We were all looking at him like this pathology, G-force, B-prime, delta V, and all these other velocity equations. Um, He literally used three pages of white paper to write out some square root equation to calculate how fast I was going. And he expected us all to follow that. Never said that I was going faster than what I said I was going. And I was thinking, how much is he getting paid? So the jury, after a while, just put their notepad down. They were like, I'm not even, I'm not even going to try you know, to understand what this guy is talking about. Because rule number one as an expert is to speak in the, le- the language that the jury can understand. You have a PhD. They don't. So it's not your chance to show how smart you are. Even the court reporter was like, slow down, Lenny. I don't even, I don't even know half these words. So he was just he completely lost the jury and and me for that matter and total sidebar total irony is I ran into him again probably like eight months later I I was I was at the courthouse a different courthouse to testify in a trial as an expert and I saw him coming down the hall and what I thought was impossible and if you will believe it the suit he had on tighter than the first anyway 
getting back to my story. So then the day got really long and the courtroom is, the courthouse is like one of the older ones. So there was like not really good air conditioning and I was done testifying and I'm like, can I just go so I could have a break and get a jump on the traffic? And three full days of court is just kind of a lot. I've testified in court before, but as an expert, you're maybe on the stand for like 20 minutes, you know, and being referred to as a defendant every 10 seconds didn't really help either. So side note, that day, Robert Downey Jr. was wearing some fresh white sneakers, fresh white socks and laces. And I'm thinking, man, I need those. I mean, I need like all that freshness. He had on a baby, a baby blue shirt with like a surfer on it, like one of those OP throwbacks. Remember OP from back in the day? Some olive green pants that I was started calling dance pants because he had them in different colors. And I'm thinking those must be real comfortable because I can tell you can get a full range of motion in those. And then smiled at me again. So, so handsome. Anyway, day three was in recess. Come back for day four. I am exhausted by then. Getting anywhere in Los Angeles first thing in the morning is its own drama, but going there and having to sit all day and listen to everything I had to listen to was a lot, was a lot. So we went in, more experts, everybody gave their closing, and then we broke for the lunch session. So when Robert Downey Jr. was leaving, he dropped a pack of gum on the floor. I immediately got up and ran over and picked it up. And my attorney was like, um, no, opposing counsel was like, oh, well, you know, you could just give it to the clerk. And I was like, no, I want to do it. But, you know, obviously you can't have any contact with the jury. But I mean, I should have just kept it and dipped it in gold and mounted it in my living room like I wanted to, but I didn't get that chance. So fine, I'll just give it to the clerk. But I think it was like his way of kind of like saying, I see you. I see you. So I was just exhausted by then because the both sides rested, but we still had to go through jury instructions. They had to deliberate or whatever. But that wasn't really the important part. What was really important is that, man, Sherlock Holmes is on the case. Come on. And not just for justice for me, but just for moral support. Just him being there, being his smiling self. Um, like I said, he smiles at everyone, but it doesn't make it any less special. And that day he had on black sneakers with teal piping, black jeans, and a metal blue shirt. And I knew that he had, he was really thinking about that every day because I was thinking about what I was wearing. So both sides closed, whatever. And then it took all afternoon for the jury instructions, jury instructions to be read. And it was just, it's long because they literally have to read every single instruction. So it got to be like maybe 4.15. And so she, the, the judge was like, well, we're going to start deliberations. And then they were like, so can we just stay this afternoon and do deliberations? But we only had like 30 more minutes. And she was like, no, we'll resume at 9 a.m. And I just thought, you know what? If we go past 10 a.m. tomorrow, I would be really surprised because they were just really anxious to get it. So day five and the jury's back. Um, they had awarded him his initial medical cost, which was $17,000, which is what he was being offered the whole time. But he was asking for like another $40,000 worth of emotional distress and, you know, his hurt feelings or whatever. And I was like, boy, bye. You need to go sit down. So I consider that a win because my insurance company had offered him the same thing two, three, four or five years ago. And so then the attorney's like, well, you know, I want to appeal the verdict and blah, blah, blah. And the judge was like, you can file your appeal. You can do whatever you want, basically. 
And then the attorney he was stewing because he said he spent like $30,000 putting this trial together. I'm like, that's your fault. And I'm just glad that they didn't award him anything because even if you award $1 to a plaintiff in a civil trial, they get all their attorney's fees too. So he could have come back with a bill for $250,000 if he felt like it. And then I wouldn't personally be on the hook for that, but you know, the insurance company would have had to pay that, but whatever. Anyway, so the jury gets released. And what I had done the night before, because I knew this was going to be the last day of trial, I was like, you know what? I'm writing Robert Downey Jr. a fan letter. I don't care. I've been waiting for this moment for however many years it's been since I was 15. We're not going to say that out loud. So the minute that the case was over, the jury walked out, it was the lunch break. And there were only like two or three courtrooms. So they had to go upstairs, turn in their badges or whatever. So I grabbed the letter that I wrote him that I did go to FedEx that morning to print on nice paper, mind you, and ran down the hallway after them. There's nobody in the hallway. So I get in the elevator by myself. Thank God, because I had I had to work it out a little bit. Had a shadow box, jog in place a little bit, work out my nerves. And then the doors open and he's standing right there. So I step into the jury room and I was just like, um, <clears throat> Uh, Mr. Downey Jr., could I talk to you for a second? So I just handed in the letter and I said, you know what, read it, read it at your leisure. Just wanted to take a moment to thank you and the rest of the jurors for your service. And he was just the coolest man in the world about it, like I thought he would be. And he was like, thank you, Miss Romeo. And then I was like, did Robert Downey Jr. just say my name out loud in front of people? I was like, God, I just want to wear his letterman jacket now or something anyway so i go back downstairs and check out we get our things we go outside and it's still like the middle of the day so peter wants to talk about whatever and i was like well you know opposing counsel said he's going to appeal like what does that mean he was like he was just blustering for for court theatrics or whatever so we go outside so while we're outside we walk past all the jurors and they're all taking pictures with robert downey jr because obviously you can't take pictures during the trial so picture picture whatever and then everybody clears out so I'm just standing there with Peter <laughs> just me and him and Robert Downey Jr so Peter says um can I talk to you for a minute he summoned Robert Downey Jr to come talk to us oh my god and so I guess because we got out early and it was half day that his driver wasn't there so he was like sure and I was like no this isn't happening this is because the clerk had walked by before and she was like oh you should go over there and take a picture with him I was like no, we, we, we have our own way of speaking. We have our own language. That's fine. So I was just like, no. So no. So he comes over and starts talking to us. And I was like, oh. So I said, is it okay if I take your picture? So I have a picture of him in profile. And I use one of those apps to change it to what looks like a pencil drawing. And... I may or may not have printed it out and framed it and put it on my desk and treated it like how the girls treated the David Beckham poster and then it like Beckham where they talk to it when they need inspiration. That's like I said, may or may not, I'm not admitting to anything. And there may also be a coffee mug with that same image. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but we're not judging. We're not, I've already been judged. So we're not, we're, we're not judging. So of course my attorney wanted to talk about attorney stuff and asking him out about deliberations and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I want to talk about Robert Downey Jr. at this point. 
And so he was just saying, you know, in the jury room, they wanted to be, you know, respectful. They wanted to take their time and kind of just walk through the process and figure out what was fair for both parties. He, they all thought that it was reasonable for him to get his medical costs. And I thought that was reasonable as well. But then nothing else, because he never missed a day of work. He never complained about any kind of pain. And he went on to live his life. He even had another baby, you know, since the car accident. So this was not some traumatic defining moment in his life. So then we were done talking business. And I said, so can I take a selfie with you? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, what? So we're standing outside and I couldn't quite get the, the right angle because of the glare on my phone or whatever. But he stood next to me and kind of put his hand on my elbow and I got to touch the hem of his garment. And he's like, okay, where are we looking? And I was like, okay, look right here. It's going to count backward from three. And I snapped the best selfie ever on the first try. And those of you that know me or know your own selfie game, nothing works on the first try. But it's just, it's the magic of Robert Downey Jr. I mean, what are you going to do? So I have that picture framed on my desk in my office. I will admit that. And another copy at home. And maybe I used that for some Christmas cards a couple years ago. I, I, I don't remember. It's, it's all a haze. We're not judging, right? So every now and again, somebody will come into my office and they'll see the picture. Um, somebody came in a couple months ago and she was like, is that you and your husband in that picture? Yes. Really? Because he looks like Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Is that Robert Downey Jr.? Yes. And then I get to tell them this story. So I said, okay, so he's my husband in a parallel universe. That's not the point. In this universe, he was what I have come to regard him as Robert Downey Jr. So we have that kind of a relationship. And that was all my five days. And then he was very gracious, very kind, you know, wished me well, and that was it. And so I went into my car and went home. Um, I was just really glad to close that entire chapter because that was April 2011 and my dad passed in May 2011. So it was just that whole era. I'm just like, I don't want to have to think about this all day, every day again for, you know, any more years. So it was quite the relief. So after five and a half years, five wardrobe changes for me, five wardrobe changes for him, some stealth photos, 200 miles of commuting, untold aggravation. I actually got to spend five full days with Robert Downey Jr. And the only thing I thought later was, man, I should have offered him a ride home because I don't think, like I said, his driver wasn't there. But then I was like, well, he probably would have said no. I mean, I did just get, <laughs> I did just get off trial for having an auto accident after all. If you've been enjoying the show, tell a friend and share my links all over your social media because the best endorsement is word of mouth and that's how I grow my audience. Also take a moment to go onto iTunes and leave me a rating review so other people that we don't know that we're not friends with yet can also find my show. All right, breadwinners, that's it for me for now. Thank you very much for listening in and keeping in touch. I read everything that you submit and I appreciate all of your feedback and your comments. You can find me online at officepoliticsradio.com. My site has links to all of my social media platforms as well as my contact information. If you have any other questions, comments, or show ideas, just get in touch with me. Have a great work week. Be nice to your HR staff. And until I talk to you again, behave yourselves.